Hi, y'all. This is Kristen Chenoweth. Hi, I'm Gloria Stefan. This is Sarah Bareilles. Hi, I'm Patty Lapone. This is Lynn Manuel Miranda. You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. Hey guys, today's show is brought to you by Audible. Audible is offering our listeners a free audiobook with a 30-day free trial membership. Just go to audibletrial.com slash musicalswithcheese and browse the unmatched selection of audio programs. Download a title for free. It's on us. And start listening. It's that easy. Go to audibletrial.com slash musicalswithcheese and take your audiobook home today. Yeah, so let's get back to the real show. Hello, I'm Jesse McAnally. And I'm Andrew DeWolf. And welcome to Musicals with Cheese, a podcast where I try to get Andrew to like musical theater more. And today we've got an extra special guest. A very special guest. Oh, you be- <laughs> it is composer, lyricist, musical director, pianist, professor, Adam Watchter. And King. Wachter. Close. Oh. <laughs> uh. <laughs> what did I say? Oh my god, what did I say? Washter. It looks like Washter. No, everyone does it. You can leave all this in. It's fine. Everyone says oh. Washter because it's a CH. It's like a weird variation of Yiddish from years back, probably. It's Wachter. It's fine. Wachter. Can I redo that? Because no I feel like no. such an asshole walk- right now. Really We're not redoing it. <laughs> Jess, this is staying in. We're going to have to walk the line on this one. <laughs> Because I've been reading it for months and months, and I've never heard no, it, it said it loud. No, it looks like Watchter. Well, you see a C-H, you would think, it makes sense. Well, how do you think my last name said, Adam? You've been staring at that horrendous-looking thing. That's true. I would say, like, McAnally. No, Is that no. right? M-C-anally. <laughs> see, Adam got it right in the first time, and I can't... Well, I literally uh, heard, just heard you do it when you introduced yourself, so I'm that, not that he's, a, he's actually, he is a DJ. He does go by MC anally. <laughs> no, I'm not. Don't spread those lies. <laughs> oh my god, MC anally. That sounds like a fun party. Uh, a little messy. <laughs> We're, we're getting the laughs out early. So, today we are actually talking about a musical that Adam suggested. So, Adam, I'm going to let you introduce what musical we're talking about today. We're talking about Merrily We Roll Along. Everybody merrily, merrily, sing on your song. Why did you choose this musical? Like, what is it that's so personal to you? I have a long-standing attachment to this musical. Um, I first, it was first introduced to me, there was a compilation CD, there was a series of compilation CDs called Celebrate Broadway. I don't know if anyone listening to this remembers these, but in, probably I was in middle school, so we're talking like mid-90s. I don't remember who the... um, record company was, but it was either like Sony or DECA or DMG or something. I don't know. And I remember like all those CD services, the clubs like Columbia House and BMG Music Direct. Do you, remember, do you know of any idea what I'm talking about or are you too young for this? I, I've got I, an I idea what you're talking about. I know what you're talking oh my about. God. I've never okay, participated. So in the 90s, everyone, in the 90s, there were these like CD clubs and you could like order CDs and they would send you CDs. I don't know. CDs were very big in the 90s. So there was this series called Celebrate Broadway. And I remember CD number three in the series was called Kids. No, it was called <laughs> Lullaby of Broadway. So obviously oh, don't Oh, that's better. This is so many years ago. Don't don't blame me. Anyway, <laughs> cut all this out in, in post-editing. I thought it was going to be Kids oh, Do Broadway or something like that. 
No, no, no. It was called Lullaby of Broadway, I think. There was another CD that was kids that was like songs about kids. This one was songs about Broadway. Broadway songs about Broadway. So it was like a song from 42nd Street and a song from Gypsy and a song. All these like songs from Broadway. It was just a compilation Mm -hmm. CD. This was before you could stream music. This was before MP3s and all that kind of a thing. Um, And there was Opening Doors was one of the tracks from Merrily We Roll Along. And, you know, that's like a four-act play contained within one song. And I was obsessed with it. I memorized the whole song like just would listen to it on repeat over and over and over again. And then like a couple years later, finally got the actual original Broadway cast recording of Merrily and like learned the whole show. Then I got the, the York theater company revival cast where they made all those changes and like learned that version. And I was always obsessed. And then it came full circle because like two years ago, I think it was, I music directed the Michael Arden directed production starring Wayne Brady in LA and then I actually like got to do it and play those songs every night. And it was amazing. And I just loved the show so much. And I picked it because it's such a complicated show. And it obviously has been reworked so many times. And there's just like, you could dissect Merrily forever. Because it's so deep. And it's so great. And it's so flawed all at the same time. I completely agree with you. And I had a very similar development of my love for Merrily as well because I first heard the songs on the album Sondheim by Sondheim when mm-hmm. that first did it and I was like oh I love Franklin Shepard Inc like that's so good and I immediately downloaded whatever I think it was like the Blue album not the one with Lin-Manuel Miranda but the one before that right with Malcolm and- Getz Yes, that was the yep. first one I listened to, and I think still that's the best album to get if you want like the more modern and well-performed version of it. But since you start with the original Broadway cast, like, yeah, did you like? There's significant changes from that original album to every other version. Like, did you yeah. have to be like, "Where's the Hills of Tomorrow"? <laughs> yeah, when I first heard the revival recording, I definitely was like, "Where's the Hills of Tomorrow? Where's Rich and Happy? Where like all these hits?" And they're gone. <laughs> but you know what? The show does work better, I think, probably in this newer version. But they wrote that newer version not for that New York revival. They did that for a production, I think, in like 89, I want to say, or 90, that Marin Maisie starred in that went to like La Jolla and D.C., I think. I could be getting some of this wrong. Um, but that's what he did all those rewrites for. And then that version opened at the York in New York, in New York City sometime in the 90s and they made that cast recording and that's the version that they license so if anyone does merrily that's the version you have to do although now it's playing in new york you know it's playing in new york right now in a much more condensed version that's like an hour and a half long and only has a cast of like 10 people or something how many versions of this show is there oh tons (laughs) thousands and of course the original the original play that it's based on you know by kaufman and hart just too many (laughs) too many versions of Merrily and all the different variations of Wonderful but it is based on a (laughs) (laughs) it is based on a play by George S. Kaufman and Moss Hart um, and it was written by Stephen Sondheim with a book by George Firth Um, Firth and Sondheim retained the basic structure of the overall theme of the play but updated to encompass the period from 1957 to 1976 it revolves around Franklin Shepard, who, having once been a talented composer of Broadway musicals, has now abandoned his friends and his songwriting career to become a producer of Hollywood movies. So that's the general premise of it, but the conceit is it tells the story backwards instead of forwards. 
The musical ran on Broadway for 52 previews and only 16 performances, and in 1981 marked the end of the Harold Prince Sondheim the Harold Prince Stephen Sondheim collaborations that were like running Broadway at the time. Let's just talk about how this kind of replicated what happened in real life with Harold Prince and Sondheim. So the show is about a relationship that breaks down as well around it was relationships that were breaking down. And really it didn't come back together in any sustainable way aside from like a collaboration on Bounce in the early 2000s which really didn't lead to much of anything between them. And it's just part of like this weird trajectory of Merrily having these weird connections in real life, which is so well documented in Lonnie Prince's um, documentary, The Best Worst Thing That Ever Happened to Me. <laughs> yeah, Lonnie Price's documentary, The Best Worst Thing oh, That sh- Ever Could Have Happened. <laughs> Lonnie Price. Did I say Lonnie there Prince? Yeah. Cause it's I'm so Prince. sorry. It's very confusing. It's a lot of. Jews, I literally. I was staring Jews. at it too. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oy vey. So many Jews. <laughs> so, Adam, I'm gonna yeah. ask you to describe that original production and what is different from it in the future productions. Because Andrew has only seen um the Maria I... Friedman <laughs> London production. That's yeah, a I good production, one. you know. I watched one production of it. It was good. Uh, I have okay. no idea how it stacks up to the other ones. I, I've... <laughs> uh, that's pretty... I mean, that's like what... That's that's sort of how the show goes now. Like, that's the rewritten revival script and score. And that's like a very, I think, well-done version of it. Um, the original was very different. The entire cast was all between the ages of, I think, 16 and 21. They were like little kids, and they didn't have any costumes. They all just wore sweatshirts that sort of had the name of their character on them because it was so confusing. Um, And it was like a very experimental thing at the time, using all these kids playing older, and that's sort of a big part of, I think, why it didn't work. But there's a bunch of songs in the original that, that were then cut, and there's new songs in the revival version that replace them. It sounds like a like a high school production almost. Like no no costumes, little kids. Well I think like... that was the idea. I mean they talk about it they talk about it in the documentary a lot, which is a great film on its own. Um, but that was sort of the idea was like, oh, no one's gonna buy older people as kids. So if we want to sort of nail home the message of this show what we should do is have that youthful energy because it'll be easier to teach the kids to act like adults than to buy adults as kids in reverse. But turned out not to be the case. And actually, when we did it in L.A. a couple of years ago, the Michael Arden production, he did like a very twist ending at the end where there were three really young performers sort of shadowing the adult performers throughout the show. And then in that final scene, they actually replaced them like person by person. And so that final moment was with actual young people, whereas you'd been watching these adults all night and it was gorgeous. It was like a gorgeous moment. And I would be playing the piano in the pit and like crying every night. <laughs> I'm not joking. I'm not joking. It was amazing. It was so It's not a joke, fellas. <laughs> was it just the my uh, our time moment at the very end or was it like just for yeah, like it was, a... it was that whole scene. Cause okay. you know, our time is like split into three parts 
and there's little scenes in between them when like Mary comes on and she has her roommate who eventually marries Charlie and there's all like the Sputnik business and Mm -hmm. all that. So it was like, I think before or during each part of the three parts of the song, another of those three main characters was replaced with a younger performer. Mm -hmm. That sounds incredible. It was. And then to have the older performers watching the younger, their younger selves sort of doing the play. I don't know. It just really hit home for me. Like, also, you know, I was, I'm like in my thirties now and looking back on my younger self and I don't know, it was just very, very personal at the moment. <laughs> did they, uh, did they all wear name tags or? No, no, we got it. <laughs> we, we got it. <laughs> I would have been confused. Like I'd be like, oh, the no names. Michael Arden is a very good director at using like doubles and stuff. He really so is. So he, he knows how to make that work. Yeah, he knows how to just like have a vision and a concept and then like see it through and create a beautiful production around it. I feel like there are directors out there who are sort of just concept or Mm -hmm. just text. And I feel like Michael Arden um, bridges both those worlds beautifully. He really has the skills to pay the bills and everything that I've seen directed by him. Like now I wish I could see this Merrily production that you're a part of because that just sounds incredible. I wish everyone had seen it. I, it was sad that it didn't really... I mean, it was just a, like a limited-run regional production. We thought maybe there would be a future for it, and there wasn't. But, you know, one day maybe we'll remount it. It was a great cast, too. Um, Aaron Lazar was Frank. Donna Vivina was Mary. Sekon Sengblo was um, Gussie. Whitney Basher was Beth. It was great. The whole cast was awesome. And the band was really fucking awesome because those LA musicians, there's like nobody better. That band was like every player who's played on every movie score for the past like 20 years. They were incredible. Anyway, that's neither here nor there. Back to Merrily We Roll Along. Uh, Actually, this reminded me of a version (laughs) of Merrily I saw recently that... Okay, so the, the person playing Charlie... He had lost his voice, and there was no understudy. So it was literally the producer offstage reading his lines and him trying to sync up with him offstage. You can only no. imagine how terrible Franklin Shepard Inc. was. Oh my god. <laughs> That's amazing. That sounds so Jess, did you, uh, did you cry anyways, Jess? Yes, I did. That show gets me emotional at the end. <laughs> yeah, but that last for what scene. reasons? I know, right? It's like that show, the show is kind of a mess, but then you get to that last scene and you're like, oh my God, this is so depressing. Like, it's still hopeful though. Like, I still get like the youthful hope from it still is this strange thing. It's like, yeah, like that mm-hmm. idealism still drives me like right to my heart cord, but I'm like, you know what? Maybe it is our time still. Yeah, but not for them. It wasn't. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, Frank did get pretty rich. So, but is that happiness? Yeah, but then like miserable. No, because all the like his son is estranged from him. All his, the women in his life are estranged from him. So he's rich, but is he happy? Give him ten years, he'll be living on his yacht. It's whatever. Yeah, but he'll be living on that yacht alone, and that's the moral of the story. Charlie's happy. He won the Pulitzer. He's got a wife and kids he loves. He he's got it good. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, but he's not Charlie as successful, even though he won a Pulitzer. Did he really win the Pulitzer? I missed that part. Yeah, he won the Pulitzer. 
Because they remember they bring it up at his party, and he's like, oh, this is up for the Pulitzer, like a new Charlie Pringus play and all that. Oh, right. Then Mary loses her shit. Poor Mary. Meanwhile, Frank is producing the Lorax or something like that. Who knows? Since we've gone into the story and our own personal opinions, I'm curious... (laughs) What characters do we relate to the most? Because every person I've talked to, like, has uh, had a different people. My girlfriend related to Gussie the most, like, when we watched it recently. So everyone's got a different thought of this. Jess, so you got to watch out, Jess. Gussie? <laughs> you got to watch out. In our production, the, the Gussie was just p- specifically very relatable, and she played it very down to earth, which I think made her Was this the same production with the mute Charlie? Yes, the mute Charlie and the very relatable (laughs) Gussie. Oh, wow. This sounds like a very special production. What is going on here, Jess? Because you don't see the hit Frank's wife until like almost right until the end of act one. So at this point, you're just like, this is a woman that got cheated on by um, by Frank. And she's looks like she's just kind of there for most of act one. Mm hmm. And her, his friends don't like her for some reason. Like, And then you see the ex-wife, and you're like, oh. Yeah. And if you got a really charismatic, like, understandable, understated actress, and unlike a lot of productions where she's just big and broad, it you right, can right. sympathize with her. I guess, but doesn't she cheat on her? She cheats on Joe with Frank, right? She's an objectively bad person. I'm just going to throw that out there. I kind of think so too. I would like to know who this genius actress is that you saw that made her so likable. She was incredible. Like she was. Are you really, sure? Really are good. you sure she wasn't a poor job that made her uh, seem likable? <laughs> no, no. It, it's like when she has that conversation with Frank by in like her garden. She just like turns off like that face of like everyone around is like. You know, I, I just really want to be an actress. That's all I love, and I'm not doing very well. Like, the honesty of it came out. Is this before or after she had she threw acid in someone's face? It was after. <laughs> well, technically. Oh, my God. Well. Remember that plot point? <laughs> there are some rough moments in that book. So what characters do you guys relate the most to? Mary. Mary? <laughs> really? All right, elaborate. Yeah. I hear why. Well, I like drinking. That's a good point. You have a lot of good points here, actually. <laughs> no, I because she... Do you know what? Because she is the one who tries to keep them all together for so long. Like, she doesn't give up on it. Even after the two boys have given up, she is still fighting for that friendship. And I think that's really admirable. And I feel like, even if I'm not always like that in life, that's sort of something to aspire to. You know, and she's just like a lost soul who just who needs those friends around her when they abandon her. She's got nowhere else to go. It's very sad. I always felt for Mary. Also, on that original cast recording, Ann Morrison's voice is so bonkers crazy. And I just like loved it because what a crazy voice for like a young actress to have. I feel like everyone's voice on that original cast sounded a little bonkers. Well, you know, they recorded that the morning after closing night. So they right. ran for two weeks thinking this was going to be this huge hit. Two weeks later, they close, and the next day, they go into the recording studio and record this, like, crazy score. So they were probably, like, out all night drinking. No wonder they sound crazy. <laughs> <laughs> Although, that, technically, they weren't even old enough to, so never mind. Uh, that doesn't I mean, mean they weren't. 
that's that's a very good point we're talking like teenagers in new york city (laughs) all right so adam Uh, says mary andrew who do you relate the most to i'm gonna say frank because i like money and i don't care about my own happiness or anyone else's (laughs) (laughs) oh my god oh no who says lonely at the top right he it's no not lonely at the top there's so much money up there i could swim <laughs> in it like i'm like picture like scrooge mcduck like something like that where you yeah. sw- got a swimming pool of gold a swimming pool of gold but no one to swim with you less people i have to share my money with you know <laughs> maybe a little exaggerated there but <laughs> yeah <laughs> so i i relate the most to charlie charlie is like my spirit animal throughout most of this show my god we have a perfect little trio we should do a production of the show starring the three of us let's go here's to us (laughs) (laughs) that's my line um charlie yeah i get it charlie's like the true artist Mm -hmm. but he also has these deep-seated morals that i really appreciate like he's political and sometimes that ruins like conversations and relationships which in my more recent like collaborations has caused caused trouble and i'm just like especially in the more recent times i've watched this i'm like oh my god i am that guy i am the buzzkill that has to throw reality into things because this is what i believe and nothing is gonna change that have you guys seen jess's short films jess makes short films and he's very artistic no i would like to i made a short film once i want to see your short film what was it about oh mine was about um a relationship between a hearing guy and a deaf guy and they have a romantic uh, relationship, and it's a silent film done all through music and sign language. Which one of them could hear and which one couldn't? Wait, is that a joke? <laughs> that might have been a stupid question. Yeah. Hang on. <laughs> I was baffled by that fucking question. <laughs> I couldn't tell you if you were being serious. No, it wasn't that. I, I think I, I was expecting some sort of answer. The deaf one couldn't hear. Okay. <laughs> oh, my God. Good point. Yeah. Wow! <laughs> I'll send you a link. You can watch it. Actually, anybody. I would can love watch to it. watch it. Oh, you can plug that. That's you can watch that for free. Why don't we plug that? Plug yeah, that. I'll put that. Where, in the, watch this short what film. What the actual address of the website is? Signthefilm.com. That's it. Fantastic. Sign. It's called Sign. S I G N. Signthefilm.com. Because they do you sign language it. and it's silent. So. Exactly. Sign. Or, oh yeah, it's a silent film. But I I wrote the screenplay and the music for that. Oh, that sounds amazing. I'm going to watch Jesse, that literally as soon as... Send me your short films. I'll watch those. Oh. All right. Um, it's it's nowhere near as provocative. I, like, I'm the one that makes the entertainment film to go along like with the Make You Cry film. So Ooh. mine is about the Grim Reaper after the world ended, ends dealing with his boredom. Jess says he's a Charlie, but deep down we, we all know he's a Frank. Uh, yeah. <laughs> hey, Jess, why don't you tell us about Audible? <laughs> all right. today's show is brought to you by audible audible is offering our listeners a free audiobook with a 30 free day free trial membership just go to audibletrial.com slash musicals with cheese and browse the unmatched selection of audio programs download a title free and start listening it's that easy go to audibletrial.com slash musicals with cheese to get started today 
Why Audible? Audible content includes an unmatched selection of audiobooks, original audio shows, news, comedy, and more from the leading audiobook publishers, broadcasters, and entertainers. Wow, that sounded rehearsed. Okay, so, on Audible, I do highly recommend Stephen Sondheim and the Reinvention of Musical Theater by Robert L. McLaughlin and narrated by David Stifel. It's very good, and it analyzes Sondheim's work very well, and it's related to what we're talking about today. So, I highly recommend it. It's a good listen. Listen to it. So, to download your free audiobook today, go to audibletrial.com slash musicalswithcheese. Again, that's audibletrial.com slash musicalswithcheese for your free audiobook. I think I really helped sell that. I think that was good. That was a good pitch. of humming along let's talk about the music and merrily we roll along wait there's music in this <laughs> which one can hear <laughs> uh... <laughs> look okay you kind of you gotta just let me say dumb stuff and get away with it man you can't you can't fire back like that i know i should be polite i'm in your house after all i'm the guest <laughs> No, it's wonderful. Please, I need help. All right, guys, everyone, so can we... everyone write on Twitter about how mean this guest was. No, don't. I'm so sweet. He's really, he's wonderful. Can we just talk about how this is literally the best, like, overture Sondheim's ever written? Well, did he write the overture, do we think? I feel like no. I think Jonathan Tunick, who orchestrated the show, probably wrote that overture. I don't know if that's true. But I, I mean, it's all his against. songs, but they're mixed so together well. But you're probably right. But there, it's uh, it's really the best overture. And actually, that production in New York right now, I have heard through the grapevine, does not do the overture, which I think is fucking crazy. What? Mm. And actually, in LA, we didn't. We moved the overture and did it as the entract, I think. Ooh. But we still did do it. We just did it in a different place. When you hear those horns, you go bum 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 bum. There's nothing more exciting than those drums. The saxes go. Oh my god! And then it kicks into. Oh, he's going for it. I literally, I probably, I mean, yeah, I did the show. But even before I did the show, I could have sung you that entire overture, like no for no. It's the best. It is. But I actually prefer the original Broadway version of the overture opposed Definitely. to like any subsequent subsequent one. Yeah, absolutely. All right, yeah, Jess, sing it for us. Bum 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 ba da ba da bum 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 ba da ba da 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 It's so great. You know, now that I've listened to them, they are very good. Waking up the countryside Making you feel merrily, merrily What can go wrong? Rolling along What do you think about the merrily roll along transitions? And how do you see them done, like, usually in productions? Because I've seen it done, like, staging-wise It's used very differently in every single version I've seen Yeah, they're a little crazy like, are they necessary? I don't even know. 
Maybe you know, for like you, transitioning the stage sometimes. I guess so. Like, see, I wonder if in this day and age with projections and everything, if you necessarily even would need them, or if you could just flash the new year on the thing and move on with your life. I mean, there are some great lyrics I, I, within them. I think it's nice to have a little like thing to tie them together, kind of. Well, plus the cast have to change their wigs, I guess. So you need a moment. But in the the production I saw recently, they just reenacted the previous scene, but backwards. And oh, that's they cool. For, and I was like, oh, my God, that's so neat. Because <laughs> yeah. we're going back in time. That's so cool. That is very Did they cool. do like a record scratch or something like that to signify oh, that it's going backwards? <laughs> no, no, nothing where like was this, that. But what is this production? I would love to know where this was. Um, it was the Runyon Land production in Ann Arbor, Michigan. Oh my god, I went to school in Ann Arbor. It was produced by Thomas Laub, and there's some incredible people in it. Um, just wonderful, wonderful production. Had that one thing with um, Charlie, but everything else was just great. I did a production of Evita once where the guy playing Che did not lose his voice, but he like threw his back out, I think, or he hurt his leg or something. So for the first couple previews, he performed the role of Che from a stool or like a chair on the side of the stage, and our choreographer would like walk his track. They went they went full Rent Live there. Yeah, huh. Jess, you you saw Rent Live, didn't you? How was that? Um, you mean the NB or the you Fox rent, production? Yeah, but, Rent Not Live, I think. Is what yeah, you mean. it wasn't live. It wasn't live. Uh, what? Yeah, Andrew doesn't know about this. Um, oh, the yeah, gentleman but... who was playing Roger broke his leg the for one of the rehearsals, and so they couldn't air it live because he had a broken leg. So they aired a dress rehearsal, and then in the last scene, they did it live, and Roger just had a broken leg for no reason. <laughs> Thanks, Fox. It's... That's right. <laughs> <laughs> That's why understudies are important. Fox has those high-quality productions. I thought their production of Grease was good. And actually, in point of fact, I thought their production of Rent was really good, too. I wish we had seen it live, because I thought it was really well done, and it looked like it would have been really great. I, I'm agreeing with you. I'm not a fan of Rent, but that was the best interpretation You're of Rent I had ever seen. Rent? I have a lot of issues with it. How old are you, out of curiosity? I am 23. Oh, there you go. Yeah, that's why. Yeah. You don't get it. You're a child. <laughs> if you were a little older you couldn't not love rent because when it would have come out how old was, how old were you in 1996 then when rent came out on broadway one years old oh my god <laughs> uh, see there you his go. parents played it on the radio all the time and that's why he hates it he's really? a little baby trying to sleep and they just kept playing no it. no 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 don't don't get those <laughs> lies out there I just saw a YouTube video where they talked about if you um, start a baby really early, like literally an infant with really complex music and stuff, you can eventually teach them to have perfect pitch, whereas an adult can never develop perfect pitch. But you can Do actually you develop it in a baby. No, I sure don't, and I wish I did, but I don't. Or maybe I don't wish I did, because then when you hear off-key singing, you would be so bothered by it. I don't know if you'd be extra bothered by it, because I think you'd still, even with just relative pitch, you could still tell if it's off-key. Yeah, but I think if you have perfect pitch, there's like a physical reaction that happens. Well, at least you can tell them what key they're in. Maybe you could uh, 
If you're playing the music for the singer, you could change the key for them. <laughs> yeah, maybe. Frank does the money thing very well. But you know what? There are other people that do it better. And Frank does the music thing very well. And you know what? No one does it better. Still, the telephones blink and the buzzers buzz, and I really don't know what he does, but he makes a ton of money and a lot of it for me. Right? So I think, okay, and I start a play, and he somehow knows, because right away it's... Hey, buddy, want to write a show? Got a great idea. We'll own all the rights with a two-week out and a turnaround on the guarantee plus a gross percent of the billing clause. There I am in California. Talking deals and turning pink. Back in business, and I mean just that. Back with Franklin Shepard Inc. Back to Merrily. Um, let's talk about how Franklin Shepard Inc. is probably one of the better patter songs ever written. Absolutely. Sondheim is great at a patter song, isn't he? Like that and getting married today from company. And um, that's all I can think of right now. <laughs> <laughs> He's really um, good uh, at it, though. <laughs> he when really he does, does. Them, he knocks him out the park. <laughs> he does. He really does. Yeah, but he also classic. does breakdown songs incredibly well. Like, and most of his breakdown songs are patter songs. I think, aside from maybe um, Rose's turn. Right. Well, Rose's turn is like the classic breakdown song, and you know he really created that thing from scratch. Like, he may only be the lyricist, but that number, he put those things together. Probably why that's the best scene in the entire show. Probably. He's a genius. <laughs> He is, but I don't like the fact that he's very aware that he's a genius. I kind of, watching him interact with people, he is acutely aware. I am better than you. Oh, I mean, that's how I act sometimes. (laughs) (laughs) That's not true. But if everyone was telling you, like, from the age of 25 to however old he is now, 90-something, that you were, like, God's gift to musical theater, don't you think it would sort of, like, get to you at some point? He wrote that song for Sondheim by Sondheim. What's that opening number? Like, I am God or something? I mean, the man's a god. Wrote the score to Sweeney Todd. With a nod to decide. Well, he's odd. Well, he's god. Yeah, basically. <laughs> I was going to bring that up, but yeah, he basically was like, I'm the god. I wrote the score to Sweeney Todd. I'm so great. Yeah. Oh. I mean, if you are better than everyone else, you, you're allowed to act better than everyone else. Here's the controversial opinion I bring up every time like I talk about Sondheim. He was in a market where a lot of composers in the 80s were just wiped out because of the AIDS crisis. And then he was like what rose to the top because he was what was left. And it's tragic that we lost all that great talent all at once. Well, no, I don't disagree that it's tragic. It's definitely tragic that we lost the talent. But what... But Sondheim was changing the game of musical theater well before the 80s. By the time we get to the 80s, we're already at Merrily. So he had already written Follies and Forum and lyrics to West Side Story and Gypsy and Sweeney Todd. All that came in the 70s, late 60s and 70s. Agreed, but He's I feel like point, he had Jess. a little bit more con- or competition and a light under his ass to like do a little bit, work a little bit more. Because at that point, all he really had was Andrew Lloyd Webber, who really... <laughs> as great as he is at what he does, isn't, like, reinventing the game as much as a lot of people try to claim he was. That's true, but I think Sondheim had already, like, won the game by the time Andrew Lloyd Webber even came along, <laughs> quite frankly. <laughs> just just admit he's better than you. Come on. He's better than everybody. Sondheim just is admit. better than everybody. But I feel like... It- <laughs> 
I feel like it was also a very unsaturated landscape at the time as well. Like throughout like the times of Sunday in the Park with George all the way up to Passion. Yeah, that's probably true. But Sunday in the Park with George is fucking genius and Into the Woods is during that time also. So, I mean, it's not like he was shirking in his duties, I don't think, <laughs> to create like, uh, brilliant musicals. And you look at, like, the psychology of Sunday in the Park with George, no one else to this day, I think, maybe, like, next to normal slightly, but, like, who, who has touched that level of exploring human psychology in perfectly rhyming verse set to your own, like, perfect music? I mean... I don't want to like further this notion that he's God because obviously he already thinks so, but it's sort it is sort of crazy how far he took this this one art form where people who are masters of it, like Jerry Herman, like Andrew Lloyd Webber to an extent, but they still didn't push it like he pushed it. They certainly wrote great musicals. I think Hello Dolly is like a perfect musical. Meredith Wilson's The Music Man is a perfect musical. But they weren't pushing an art form forward in the way we think of like Schoenberg pushing the art form forward or Stravinsky or I don't know any visual artists, but like modern visual artists who do things that like change the game. I don't know. We, that I'll was, let you that know was a when little, Stravinsky a little has a hit. About that. Let you yeah, know let us know when Stravinsky has a hit, right. okay? But literally, he compares himself to Stravinsky <laughs> because, you know, Sondheim talks about Opening Doors being the one true autobiographical song he's ever written. People always think his songs are autobiographical, the ballads and things, and he's always like, no, 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 I write from character, I write from character. And he says, the one autobiographical thing I ever did was Opening Doors, which is when these upstart musical theater writers are trying to like get this musical off the ground and trying to make it work for themselves in New York. And he's saying, that was me. Although if I can go on, <laughs> you're not bored by this. It wasn't really him because he had a pretty nice start with his parents being best friends with Richard Rogers or neighbors or whatever they were. Anyway, he cheated. <laughs> There's a little nepotism there in the end. He was getting notes on his like high school musicals. He was writing from literally uh, no, sorry, not Richard Rogers from Oscar Hammerstein the second. That's who he was um, close to and who sort of like mentored him. So when you have that kind of guidance in life, like, yeah, you're going to write a better musical than the guy who just grows up, you know, learning from his high school music teacher. Same with Adam Gettle, who was in a very similar situation. I don't know if we're allowed to talk about him anymore because of Twitter. Yep. Yep. He kind of put his own foot in his mouth. <laughs> whoa, whoa, what happened? <laughs> no, no, we're not. We're not talking. <laughs> he said some shitty things. Is all all we're saying. Did he go Kanye? A little bit, a little bit, maybe. Yeah. Uh, men just need to learn when not to say shit. New friends pour through the revolving door. Maybe there's one that's more. If they find one, that'll do. Let's talk about old friends and how that is such a great, charming number. Andrew, what do you think? Uh, I think it's funny because they're not really friends. Isn't that insightful? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, Andrew, are you also a really, a really young? Are you also a really young person? I, I am a young person. Yes. Yeah. Um, 
I do have friends that have left, though, and uh, I know what it's about. <laughs> yeah, no, I know you know what it's about. But there is, like, a thing, like, as you get older where friends, well, you even know, probably, like, friends from high school that you're not friends with anymore. Friends drift apart, and it's this weird phenomenon. How, like, how can people who connect so well at one point in their lives, like, not have anything in common not that much later in life? It is a super crazy thing. It's tragic. <laughs> I think it's I think it's even more tragic when they're more than friends and they are collaborators because that hurts even more because that's more than a friend at that point. That is its own form of romantic relationship in its own. Well, when you when you get way. to the collaborator status, you have to drop the best friend status, you know, because then it's a business relationship, and if you don't see it as such, you get this musical. What do you think is more important? Like, if you have a best friendship or something, do you, do you say, let's not collaborate? Or do you think, like, oh, no, the art that we could make will be worth it to lose our friendship over? Well, the best ones are both. Depends on the person, I mean. Adam, have you ever had, like, collaborators that have, like, ended with you that, like, were, started off as friendships or anything like that? Yeah. Do you know what? I have. Totally. I mean, not, like ones I've written entire musicals with or anything, but certainly like friends, like thinking back to college friends who were like, let's make something, you know, let's put together a cabaret or something like that. And then we would just fight and eventually it ended the friendship. Absolutely. People get really passionate. I think about if you're making art and you're putting yourself out there in some way, like there's something so personal about that. And you get really passionate about it, which leads to being really defensive about it. And then you're working with someone and you're trying to make something good and you have to give each other critiques and, you know, things just go crazy. Franklin should have produced Charlie's stuff is is what should have happened. Charlie wouldn't have let him. I agree. I don't think Charlie would have let him. Because Charlie wanted Frank to create. He loved Frank's music. Then then Charlie should have known that they couldn't be best friends anymore. Well, I th- I don't think Charlie ever could. Because Charlie, I think, held out hope right until that camera hit record. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I mean, he... He uh he kind of ended himself, so I mean. See, that's the best thing about this musical <laughs> is every character in the three leads are so sympathetic, and you can almost see every side, even if you aren't a hundred percent on their side. That's really true. Yeah. Especially Mary, because she gets really drunk. <laughs> Poor Mary. And oh. even like Sondheim and George Firth admit that these are one-dimensional characters, like, and they intended them to be so, so that you wouldn't get too confused in the backward-moving plot. But somehow, in there came fully fleshed three dimensions, like throughout all the rewrites and all that. Although I will say, I think it's hard to grasp all three dimensions the first time you see it. I felt like doing it night after night on that one production, I fell deeper and deeper in love with it and in love with the characters. But every night with a new audience, you could hear how challenging it was for the audience to grasp what was happening. Because the first time you meet these people, it is at their absolute worst. That first scene, Frank and Mary are just awful people. And then you meet Charlie and he sings Franklin Shepard, which is just a rant. And you don't know any of their history 
I mean, Andrew, I would love to know, like, watching it for the first time, not knowing the music or anything, how did you find it? Were you, like, sympathetic to anybody, or did it really take until that last scene where you were like, oh, I see what's happening now. They ruined their lives. Uh, I mean, I thought it was going to be, like, a like a Wolf of Wall Street kind of thing at first, where, like, they're just all bad people the entire time. Right. Because that's how you meet um, them at first. They're bad people. <laughs> Yeah, but then I think by the time you end the second act, I, I was like, okay, I see where it's going. And, so by the end of like, the show. Oh, it, yeah, it's like, well, not the second act, the end of the first act. Pardon oh, okay, good. The start good, of the good. second act. It's like, okay, yeah, I, I, I get it. It's going to be, they're all happy <laughs> at the beginning, and then they right. ruined it. Right. Although, I, you can kind of pick that up even before that, but yeah. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. But like, that's why the only character to relate to is Joe, the producer. Oh. Joe, the producer, was a fun character. I liked him, but he's also such a dweeb. Like his wife is cheating on him that whole time. He doesn't know, and then he doesn't really care. And like, oh, I feel bad for Joe. Yeah, and I mean, he's right though. You just need a catchy song. I guess so. That's what's been holding me back for years. Uh, but let's talk about when opening are you gonna doors? write something catchy. <laughs> One of these days. Nobody's ready. Apparently, somebody canceled a booking. Those songs aren't finished. What about cost? And how do we learn all these numbers? I'll bring you the copies of everything later this evening. The singing and songs are kind of overrated. What do we do about getting the dust? We'll turn around, dump it, stand on the dust, and we'll worry about it on Sunday. We're opening doors, singing, and here we are. We're filling up days on a dime. That car is yours. and how i mean we've touched upon it but that is really like the climax of this show i know our time is technically the climax but this is like the big like oh everything's come together and look at all the fun we're having and yeah we're stressed but we're friends and we love each other song yeah i think it's one of sondheim's like personal favorites too because of how autobiographical it is i think so i think it's it's pretty near perfect like musical sequence did you ever see that Six by Sondheim documentary that I think was also Lonnie Price and they do opening doors? Who does that? I already for- I forgot who's in it. It was Darren Chris, Jeremy Jordan, and America Fiera. That's and then right. Sondheim plays the producer, which is right. adorable. Right. Oh my God, I forgot about that. Yeah, that's a great documentary, but that scene is ruined by like the use of like uh, CGI. Like, they're just all on green Right. Oh, my God. I haven't watched that forever. I need to watch that again. That was HBO, right? Yes. So, opening doors. It's like a, it's like its own musical at the end of this musical. It's like, whoa. It's crazy. It would be a great, like, opening number to set up the whole show. But it happens at the Agreed. end. Agreed. That's a big, you know, that's merrily. It's just, it just, <laughs> it just, like, says, oh, I know what an audience wants, and I'm not going to give it to you. Fuck you, audience. We're going to do this in reverse and you're going to suffer through this maudlin act one and we're going to give you everything you want in act two. But by that point, you're ready to go home. That's the most Stephen Sondheim thing ever. What if they did this show that's in reverse in reverse? I don't think legally you're allowed to. But let's say hypothetically, like just for fun in your basement, you put on this show. Would it make any sense like more emotionally if you started with our time and ended with um whatever song that frank well i think it would just be depressing at that point you would sort of forget the the like the point of it and you would just be like oh 
that's a terrible story. These people are awful. Look what they did. It would be like, uh, what's that one Facebook movie where <laughs> social network. everybody gets Zuckerberg? Everyone gets Zuckerberg. <laughs> I mean, you know what you could do? You could take that um, um, production. Uh, uh, oh, what's the one that you watched, Andrew? Um, this is like the London one, I think. Yeah, yeah Maria Friedman. Maria Friedman. One. That's right, the Maria Friedman production. You could take because they filmed it. You could take that and recut it, and see if it works. It's like the people that put a playlist together of the last five years in order, and it's just like this. This isn't effective at all. No, I don't think it would be. Although, but you know what is effective is that version of Julie and Julia that someone put together on YouTube, where they cut out all the Julie stuff, and it's just the story of Julia Child. Yes, I agree. <laughs> That, that's good. <laughs> Great. Little plug for that. Something is stirring, shifting ground. It's just begun. Edges are blurring all around. And yesterday is done. Feel the flow. Hear what's happening. Hear what's happening. Don't you know? And we're the shapers, we're the names in tomorrow's papers, up to us man to show up. So let's finish on our time and how that's just a very strange but wonderful way to end a show. It's a good ending, at least they end it with a, with a bittersweet ending. I've, I've already commented that I like bittersweet endings in the past, so I did like this one too. Uh. <laughs> yeah, in some ways I feel like it's the most sort of cheerful, optimistic thing Sondheim probably ever wrote. Because it's just, like, optimism. Pure, youthful optimism. But the whole bitterness comes from... because he knew. Exactly. He knew it was not going to be optimistic. He was like, I'm going to write this optimistic thing, but it's not. Gotcha. Yeah, it's just going to be <laughs> heart-wrenching. Yeah, yeah, you get you guys aren't deserving of my optimism. Um, it's you if you're getting it, you're getting it with pessimism all sprinkled on top of it. Should I see a documentary called um, Stage Door? Is it called Stage Door? The Stage Door Manor documentary about the theater camp and like the Catskills. Oh, is that Camp? Is that what it's called? Camp is the film that's like the fictional version, but I think Stage Door is the documentary. And there's the Our Time Cabaret, which is like the elite choir of Stage Door, and they sing Our Time at all these like weird Catskills resorts. And it's just the opposite of what Sondheim would have intended with the song, because it truly is just youthful optimism, and it's all these high school kids like singing with shit-eating grin grins on their face. I that mean, was a quick tangent for you. <laughs> Real life is just this show, but in in the correct order, you know? So, I think it makes oh. sense to have a bunch of high school sing kids sing so this. So, kill yourself now. Yep, just get it over with, fellas. The only way to go is down. <laughs> Musicals with cheese does not endorse suicide. We do not endorse suicide. Let's <laughs> no, make that clear. We do endorse getting a lot of money and, and dropping all your friends, though. So, you no, can do disagree. that. It's fine. Keep your friends. Keep your artistic <laughs> integrity. It's our time. Plaque. This is where we began. So, here's 
here's the final question, like unrelated, since we all basically enjoyed merrily. Let's get introspective. If we could go back in time and see our younger selves, what would they think of us today? It, Adam, let's start with you. Um, I don't know. Oh, God, I never think about my younger self. <laughs> uh, Your younger self doesn't think about you either. Don't worry. <laughs> <laughs> That's so stupid. Oh, God. <laughs> I think that he would be pretty happy, actually. I think he'd be pretty proud. I think he might say, like, oh, you you would, like, I would might miss performing, I guess, because at the time I really loved doing, like, performing on stage. But literally I have not done that since I was probably 16 years old. So it's been 20 years now. Um I think, yeah, I mean, I'm definitely over it as an adult, but maybe that's what he would say. He'd be like, oh, perform again. And meanwhile, I'm like, absolutely not, never. So I guess that'd be it. But I think he'd be, like, happy with my life. I think it's pretty good. I haven't made any truly terrible life decisions that I know of. Mm-hmm. And is there anything you would tell him to prepare for? Um... I would tell him to keep practicing the piano and take a music theory course <laughs> and because uh, these are all things I ended up like learning later in life and it would have been nice to know them before I got to New York. I would just tell him like it's going to be okay. Just keep doing what you're doing. Be a good person. Be nice to people. Don't be such a dick. Because like in college, no, because like in college, I was like a dick. So I was like, oh, I know what I'll do to get people to like me. I'll be like biting and bitchy and funny. I'm like, that's fun to an extent. Well, it was, but like, I probably hurt a lot of people's feelings if I'm being honest. So I would tell him not to do that shit because it's not worth it. Everyone's going through their own stuff. So just be nice to everybody. You can still be funny and nice at the same time. That that's a message to go by, Andrew. What do you think the if you would think of the version of yourself from ten years ago would think of you, and vice versa? How old were you ten years ago, Andrew? Three. Uh, I was no, I was four. I was four years old. <laughs> no, no. Uh, ten years ago, I would have been thirteen. Uh, I think I probably would have been like, yeah, that sounds about right. <laughs> What uh, does? What sounds about right? But what I'm doing right now. Oh, which oh, one okay. of them? Which one of them can't hear? God. Yeah, oh. basically, that's that's yeah. Okay. <laughs> I'd go back to my younger self and I'd tell him what I'm doing, and he'd be like, "Yeah." <laughs> what are you doing out of curiosity? about you. That that's pretty much the question to ask, isn't it? <laughs> You know what? You're 23. You don't need to know what you're doing. You've got like a good 10 years before you have to figure it out for real, I think. Um, and if I were to tell my younger self something, it would be... Oh, I don't think I'd want to tell my younger self anything. That would alter history. That'd be a little weird. That is a Fair, cheat. That is a get out of a question cheat. Come on. I'm getting I, out of the question. I did it. I did it. Yeah, Andrew, don't I actually... be a pussy. Oh, gee. Oh. <laughs> 
I, I tell my younger self to just keep trying to grow that goatee. You know, you can do it. <laughs> oh, oh I thought of that another. I, that makes me think of another thing I would tell my younger self, which is you're never going to have straight hair. Stop freaking out about your curls and don't try to straighten it because it doesn't look good. No, it doesn't. I got those uh, Shirley Temple curls, so. Yeah, me too. I do put a bow right. in my hair just because I think it looks better. <laughs> okay. Well, Jesse, on to you. Same question. <laughs> oh, uh, all right. So I think the younger version of myself, which as well would have been 13, would have been like, hey, did you make a film yet? And I'd be like, I've made 10. And Ooh. a couple of them won awards. Ooh. And then, like, Jess is writing his biography already. It's called I'm God. (laughs) (laughs) And he'd probably be like, Have you made like a thousand YouTube views yet? I was like, Ah, try multiplying that by a couple hundred. (laughs) Oh my God. Stop jerking yourself off. (laughs) (laughs) What are these? I have to go watch these, these films now. I would tell him to cut black on the bright blonde hair bleach because it's not a good look. Um, <laughs> yeah, don't wear those glasses, those big round glasses. What was that yeah, about, Jess? That was so that I didn't have to look. I could look at the script without anyone knowing. There were black sunglasses that covered my entire yeah. eye, so I could just look down at the script and keep my face to the camera. I was good, good going, XX, XX, Jess World, XX. Great job. Yep. Yeah. That, that was 10 years ago. Um, <laughs> and I would also tell him that bulimia isn't a good idea. Don't do it. Oh, now we're going to get serious. I had to throw a serious one in there. Oh, dear. Maybe that's how that Charlie he... Kringus lost his voice in Ann Arbor. <laughs> was that a serious uh, or is it? <laughs> that was a joke. That was a ba- we shouldn't joke about eating disorders. That was a- because Jesse had I mean, an eating disorder, Charlie couldn't sing. Jess, Jess is allowed to joke about it, okay? I think. Is that how that works, Jess? Yes, I'm allowed to joke about my past eating disorders. It's okay. Do you get like a Do you get like a card in the mail, like a certificate that says you're allowed to? Um, no, I just get food, and I'm like, well, I'm not throwing you up today. Oh. <laughs> well, this just got really dark. Oh my God. <laughs> um. It started out like a <laughs> I got too personal right. too quick. I'm sorry guys. All right. How do we get how do we get out of here? Is there how so, do we hang this up? What is our, <laughs> What is our overall thoughts on Merrily We Roll Along and our cheese rating? Adam, you're going to see our cheese rating criteria. It makes no sense. Andrew, what do you think of Merrily and your cheese rating? <laughs> Uh, what did I think of Merrily? I thought it was pretty good. I think it was a little awkward that it was, like, in reverse, and there was, I don't know, it was some sections, like, near the beginning where I was a little confused what was happening, and that's probably on purpose, but I I didn't like that as an audience member, I guess, because I'm a dumb, I'm a dummy. <laughs> um, the music's all fantastic, though, uh, and I, I would definitely recommend at least listening to the soundtrack, if you haven't. Um, as far as a cheese rating, I invented the cheese rating, and I'm always bad at it. What do I <laughs> What's a cheese rating? Basically, <laughs> it's just like, what kind of cheese do you think fits the show? Oh, okay. 
It makes yeah, no sense. Um, I apologize to all the vegans watching our show. Um, hey, I'm I've gonna, suggested I'm some vegan it... cheeses. You have? Yeah, I have. What's the opposite of cheese? I mean, I, I was th- almost thinking like the show's in reverse. Maybe it should be what the cheese is before it's cheese. I don't know. <laughs> Milk. I don't I'm gonna know. give it shredded. I'm gonna give it shredded cheese, like uh, like mozzarella, because it's kind of in pieces. But mm-hmm. I like it. <laughs> All right. I'll, and I'll go next, so so Adam can <laughs> figure out his cheese rating. Um, oh, yeah. Once again, Merrily is. <laughs> One of my favorite musicals of all time, probably within my top 20. It's so good. The soundtrack is great. Franklin Shepard Hink is probably one of the greatest songs ever written, and anytime it comes up in my shuffle, I listen to it without, like, even a second doubt of, like, I don't care who's yeah, singing it, the songs. That's that's my favorite, too. Definitely listen to that song. That's really good. Mm-hmm. And, like, no matter who's singing it, it's always good. So I'm going going with Old Drover's Road, which is made from unpasteurized cow's milk and from the United States. It's a semi-hard artesian. It's creamy and crumbly. And since it's Old Drover's Road, it's going backwards on the road of Old Drover's. What the hell? Where do you even what? find this stuff, Jess? Um, cheese.com. <laughs> I'm favoriting cheese.com cheese. right now. Cheese.com. Cheese.com. <laughs> Do you know how many cheese manufacturers I've contacted to try to get to, like, sponsor us? Are you serious? I didn't realize that that was the musicals with cheese. I didn't get it, that that was what you were talking about, actual cheese. Well, of course. Well, I mean... Well, because Andrew always thought, oh, no, musicals are cheesy. And I'm like... Right. Man. Right. Right. That's from our first episode that's not even up on iTunes, I don't think so. Nope, <laughs> so that, no one that was for the Tony Awards with Kevin Spacey, where we just did like a little commentary <laughs> over it. I Boy, forgot those Kevin Spacey was in it. <laughs> that hasn't aged well. Ooh. No, it definitely hasn't aged well. Now lump him in with Adam Gettle somewhere. <laughs> yes, exactly. People not invited to the Tonys anymore. So Adam, what is your cheese rating and overall thoughts on Merrily? My overall thoughts on Merrily are these. It is a brilliant score. You know, Good Thing Going, probably one of the top songs ever written. Um, now You Know, a personal favorite, Opening Doors, that overture. Uh, oh my, we didn't even talk about, um, um, oh my God, and now I'm blanking on it. You know, the ballad, the gorgeous, what am I talking about? Not a day goes by! I mean, stunning, 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 stunning. Uh, you know, just the score. And then it's a, it's otherwise flawed, but it's an admirable and ambitious attempt at doing something different in storytelling for musical theater. And I think it should be studied and listened to and sung and maybe not necessarily always watched and i would rate it a stilton because (laughs) because um well because according to wikipedia (laughs) there's uh two varieties of stilton a blue and a white and those are the two cast recordings of Merrily that I listened to. Ah! <laughs> oh, oh yes! White cover and the revival York Theatre production in the 90s, which had a blue cover. My hat's off to you. That's, That's brilliant. He won you. the cheese That's ratings. <laughs> That's the best cheese rating. 
<laughs> good. Good, good pick. Good pick. Thank you. Thank you. I don't even know what it still tastes like, if I'm being honest, but it looks delicious. We will have to order some and eat it. Yes, we have done those segments before. You should send a little sampler platter of cheese. Just write this down. And then I, I got eat it. I got it down. Kind of cheese, and then you would be better at the ratings, maybe. I think we should get like a whatever the cheese rating that is given to the show that we watch, we order, and we eat it while we're talking about it. You know. God. Yeah, that's, that's a, a lot of preparation. Idea. I can barely get the guests in here. <laughs> <laughs> Like, Adam, I had to prepare, like, since December. That is true. I'm busy. We have, a, we have a lot of guests right now, yeah. Musicals with Cheese is the biggest musical podcast in all of Denmark. That's <laughs> yes, amazing. That is... <laughs> I mean, listen, you'll never run out of guests, because who, who, who couldn't talk about musicals for, for this long? I mean, that's fair. Is there anyone that you think would be a good guest that you would recommend? Oh, my God, so many people. Yeah. Give them a call out, then they'll feel pressured to come on. Yeah, I mean, totally. Get some, like... Specifically women and people of color, because we're trying to, like, branch oh, sure, out sure, of it. Sure. This will be cut. But <laughs> I, it, they just don't want a, three cis white dudes talking about musicals. I understand. I mean, I'm gay, if that helps. Probably doesn't. Not, that any, does. not anymore these it, days. No, it, it it adds, like, one point, but we need at least three points. Yeah, but a podcast so. about musicals, they're just going to assume you're all gay anyway. <laughs> I did. <laughs> I, I don't blame you i don't blame you uh, and i'm not gay i'm demisexual i don't know where that fits in what's a demisexual i'm that omnisexual. Is... <laughs> what is that demisexual is is that's a great answer has... what is that <laughs> i think we should just leave it there no, no i, really I want to answer know. Because I didn't figure out this until, like, I was in college, and I'm like, I, because people would ask me, what are you? And I'm like, it, it's hard to explain. But demisexual is, you only have sexual feeling for people you are romantically involved. That's a thing. Isn't that, a, like, it's a lot of people, I think, though. But Isn't it's like, you're like capable of having any no. sexual feelings for people that you don't already have that strong romantic feeling for. So you, like... Does that mean you have sexual attractions to me? <laughs> oh, Wow. <laughs> I don't think so. Like, now, hold on. Let, I'm an let me get the like, so what... like. Let me get the actual definition, so it's not just me describing it. Wait, but can I ask before we move on to Omni, which I do want to do, and with the demi? <laughs> I'm just, mean, I'm like, just fucking with you, you by the way. Oh, good. Okay. If you watch, <laughs> if you watch a porn, you don't know those people, so you, that that's not like you don't get sexually turned on watching pornography. I do not. Really? Do you like yes. throw up when you watch it, or no? It's just that like, neutral. It like, oh, that's 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 a. Those are two people that are into it. However, the difference is if they are characters that are built up, and then like I get more aroused by like sex scenes in films where you have the pre-established plot and you get those connections to the characters than well, you would just everybody random people does having sex. that. Yeah, no, that's always the case. Do you I have think. to? Do you have to like jerk off into a mirror or something like that? Like. <laughs> What? That's a fair question. <laughs> like when you want when you want to masturbate, do you just do you just talk about your short films or? <laughs> <laughs> Wait, what do you think about when you masturbate if you're not watching porn or are you watching like scenes from Titanic? I I don't. 
<laughs> scenes from Titanic. <laughs> well, because you like already know the characters, so you could, you know, I'm not making fun of you. I'm serious. Um, you don't. I just you don't, don't masturbate. We're getting How do really they get this personal? We're getting really personal, <laughs> but I don't want to leave Adam like without an answer. But the official Thank definition you. of I'm of demisexual is a person who does not experience sexual attraction unless they form a strong emotional connection with someone. It's most commonly seen in, but by no means confined to romantic relationships. Wow. Like, I cannot tell whether one person is more attractive than the other is one of my biggest things where I'm like, um, okay, you're both humans. <laughs> I don't feel anything until I talk to you. Huh. Okay. Interesting. Yes, you sure you ain't gay? I, I like musicals a lot, so I guess that gives me an official gay card, right? Like, is that what it means? No, no, everyone likes musicals. There, All there are people who like musicals and people who don't know they like musicals. But everyone deep down likes musicals. If you ever talk to someone and they say they don't like musicals, likely they are a reptilian. Or they just don't know the sort of breadth of musicals that are out there. Because saying you don't like music, I think people who say they don't like musicals mean they don't like the fan of the opera and you know hello dolly they don't or anything goes and all of them right they don't understand necessarily saying you don't like musicals is like saying you don't like movies or saying you don't like books it's like well no you don't like some movies probably but you don't not like movies it's just a it's just an art form within that there's so many different kinds of stories and kinds of music and kinds of productions it's like you know how many people that don't like musicals are gonna go watch will smith butcher aladdin in like a month you know <laughs> exactly and then their opinions will be reinforced no maybe it'll be good. maybe it'll be good let's not judge hey well. pa pasig and paul are working on it because that aladdin needs more songs right are they yeah, they're doing the lyrics with Alan Menken to do more songs. Oh, right, because Alan Menken doesn't write lyrics, does he? No. And, um, but but wait, the guy who wrote the uh, songs for the film is still alive. Just, they didn't it's, want it's him. complicated. It's complicated because Howard Ashman did some of the songs for it, and then Tim yeah. Rice took over the rest. So there was no yeah. like one lyricist there. Right, but Tim Rice is still very much alive, but maybe... Maybe they maybe maybe they were friends and it didn't work out the collaboration just like in Merrily We Roll Along. Who's to say? Mm -hmm. All right. Actually, yeah. Brought it full circle. Either way, today's show was brought to you by Audible. Oh Audible is offering our listeners a free audiobook with a 30-day free trial. Membership. Wait, you can get a free audiobook, Jess? <laughs> yes, you can. Join. Just go to audibletrial.com slash musicals with cheese and browse the unmatched selection of audio programs. Download a free title and start listening. It's that no, easy. I love go success. to Audible Go to audibletrial.com slash musicals with cheese. And go to Adam Jess, can you make that a little can you make that a little catchier, Jess? It's gotta have a catchy melody to it. Gotta hum a ma mumble melody. <laughs> Alright. Um Alright, Adam, let's get to promoting. Tell us Ooh. what you want to show out there. Go to my website, yeah, adamwalker.com. Go to signthefilm.com. Um Come audition for Point Park University's musical theater program where I teach, I suppose. Uh, what oh, else? That's Follow me on Twitter or Instagram at Zebra Adam. Uh, that's probably about it. 
Mm-hmm. All right. So thank you guys for listening. Please download our podcast on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, all at Musicals with Cheese. Our Twitter is at Cheesy Musicals. Our Instagram is at Musicals with Cheese. Our YouTube page is Musical Theater Lives. Our email is musicaltheaterlives at gmail.com. Drop us a line. Maybe maybe you can tell us what you want us to do next or suggest people you want to join us. Our title card is created by Jolene Casco. Her Instagram is at Jolene Casco. And Adam, if you're ever in Michigan for whatever University of Michigan, like I'm five from year Michigan. reunion. Do you know what? I'm, I grew up in Michigan and my sister lives in Ann Arbor, so I will probably be there. Actually, I'll definitely be there in July, but I'll be in like Petoskey. Um, yeah, I should take you to dinner and we can meet up. I would love to meet you in person and introduce myself properly. That would be wonderful. And then I'm going to test you and see if you're more sexually attracted to me at the beginning of the meal or at the end when you know me better. Yeah, um, and you'll have to you'll have to watch and see how many times he masturbates that day. <laughs> and we can eat various kinds of cheese and compare it to musicals. I I came out here for a good time, and I'm honestly just feeling so attacked right now. Oh no! It's all with love, Jesse. It's with love. <laughs> so, gentlemen, do we have anything else to say before we wrap this on up? We had a good thing going, going gone and that's that's all from musicals with cheese we'll see you next time let me know when stravinsky has a hit okay (laughs) hey it's leslie udom jr here on the broadway podcast network to tell you about the rise theater directory a program of maestro music Rise is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theater professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the Rise Theater directory to find your next team. Create your profile now. And get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E dot org. Because only together we rise.